This episode of That Does Suit Madam is brought to you by Goldberg and Goldberg Solicitors. Have you been slandered for your military rank? Suffered from canteen food poisoning? Sustained fire damage from a fish and chip shop fire? Contact Goldberg and Goldberg Solicitors for a free consultation today. Mr. Brandon, are you free? I'm Brandon. And I'm Jeff, and this is That Does Suit Madam, a podcast about are you being served. Hello, Unanimous. Hello, Unanimous. Hello, Mr. Jeff. Hello, Mr. Brandon. How are you <sighs> doing today? Um, well, a lot has gone on in the world. You don't say. But we're gonna make it through, and uh, there are a hell of a lot more Are You Being Served episodes to cover, so we, we have to muddle through, keep calm, and carry on, and watch Are You Being Served, is what I say. Yeah, that's right? w- well said, well said. Uh, we needed to take a week off, Unanimous, to uh, gather ourselves after um, just a little attempted coup we had here in the States. Um, so uh, we thank you for sticking with us, and we are refreshed and ready to talk about Series 7. Whoa, we have a new world to explore, a new character. Um, but hey, we've been listening and reading all of your lovely messages and voicemails and emails, haven't we? Have we not, Mr. Jeff? We have. We have indeed, Mr. Brand. We have. <laughs> yes. And uh, we're both just overcome uh, with the emotion, almost to the point where I'm going to well up and start crying like Mr. Humphreys. Flummoxed. With all of the um, five-star reviews we're getting on Apple Podcasts. Um from all of our new Facebook friends, Veronica, Laura, Brad, Nick, Jill, Pete, David, Thomas, John, Charles, Julie, everybody. Um, we heard from uh, superfan Ursula. Remember a while back we were talking about uh, different foods that cities are known for? Like you think about Chicago pizza and you think about like Nashville hot chicken. Um, we couldn't rem- we couldn't think of um, Cleveland, what Cleveland was associated with, and she actually spent some time in the Cleveland area, um, and she let us know that some of the local cuisine there is known as Polish Boys, delicious, which is a fried Polish sausage with French fries, coleslaw, and barbecue sauce. Sounds delicious. Really tasty. So, yeah. you know, Ursula, if you wanted to, like, pack some down with some dry ice <laughs> and ship them to the northern Mississippi compound, by all means. Yeah. <laughs> um, we also heard from superfan The Other Jeff, who um, – Other Jeff, he's like a friend of the show. He always gives us great emails. But he also gave us an incredible comment, which we will talk about later on in this episode as we discuss the junior – which is why you downloaded and listened to this episode of the podcast. Uh, but some very interesting uh, conspiracy theories, <laughs> I think. <laughs> and you know me, I like a good Are You Being Served conspiracy theory. So that was cool. Thank you, Jeff. That's right, listeners. And while you're listening to us, please wash your hands and wear a mask. And remember, Black, Black Lives, Lives Matter. Matter, yes, indeed. All right. So shall we talk about the, the episode? Yeah. What are we doing? Take us back. So, today we're talking about Series 7, Episode 1, The Junior, which originally premiered on 19th of October, 1979, 
And that week in the news was the first national march in the U.S. for gay rights, uh, taking place in Washington, D.C., involving tens of thousands of people. Um, the Black Monday events in Malta occurred, which is where members of a political group um, ransacked the Times newspaper office. Oh, wow. uh, the police did not intervene and the perpetrators were never brought to justice. Damn. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the first McDonald's in Singapore opened at the Liat Towers on the famous Orchard Road. I was wondering when that happened just the other day. <laughs> All right. So it was a big week in the news and the Good people of Great Britain had a new TV show of Are You Being Served to Watch? So that's uh, exciting for them. So that's open right. up the episode. What are we looking at when we uh, see the credits rolling, Mr. Jeff? So curiously, over the opening titles, we see customers browsing through racks on their own, which we haven't seen that since um, the old order changes when they did the, you know, the American style. And it was also in the movie, but we all know the movie isn't canon. So it was a little weird. Controversial but that was statement right there. That's just for the uh, <laughs> the opening uh, credits because we uh, immediately go down to the canteen where we see a banner wishing Mr. Tebbs good luck. And oh, so they do Mr. a little Tebbs. bit of exposition to explain to us that Mr. Tebbs um, went into um, retirement. My theory on this episode, it's sort of like the episode, eh, it's, it's, it's a good one, but it's almost like, shit, we have to get the old guy out and get the new one in. How are we going to do it? And they're like, let's make this commotion and craziness so that it just happens. And then we'll see how this new guy goes. Um, right, right, because Mr. Mr. Tebbs wasn't introduced with much fanfare. I think because they were sad about um, yeah. about Arthur Bruff dying. So they just kind of wanted to gently you know, bring in Mr. Tebbs. But now here they're making fanfare about it. Now we're going to go through – what, two other senior salesperson? <laughs> so I think they kind of give up on this major introductory thing. Well, you know, uh, the, next the, the rumor is the BBC had them all killed one by one. <laughs> yeah. So watch yourself, people. So they're doing a little bit of exposition to explain why Mr. Tebbs has left, and they're having a goodbye party for him because it's his retirement party. Yeah. And I have to say, we got that email from the other Jeff – uh, super fan, unanimous member. And he said very interestingly, very interesting that Mr. Tebbs didn't eat his celebratory um, going away retirement cake, which you remember oh, on the table. Mr. Kipling, the yeah, sponsorship. Exactly. Oh. So the reason why uh, James Hader had to leave the show is that, as we've mentioned a couple times in the episode, uh, previously, the Mr. Kipling Cake Company, which is like Little Debbie, but nicer over there, um, he was a spokesperson. So that's how most people would know his voice uh, because they'd see it 20 times a night on television. Uh, and then suddenly he was on the show and the, the people who were doing Mr. Kipling, who owned it, didn't like that he suddenly was playing this kind of bumbling idiot character on Are You Being Served? They thought it would cheapen their brand. So they paid him triple what he was paid previously as the spokesperson on the commercials for Mr. Kipling Cakes to quit Are You Being Served? So what the other Jeff said, how interesting that uh, as he's retired, he doesn't touch his cake. Do you think that the Mr. Kipling's Cake Company had put in his contract that he couldn't be associated with any cake and anything else. So the writers had to make sure they said 
that Ooh, the James Hader character didn't eat the cake. I wonder if that was sort of like a little wink and a nod to like the BBC people who That's probably what I think wanted it was. to keep him and they were annoyed that now they have to replace him again, which isn't good for a show to have replacing characters. So I wonder if that was a little wink. A little bit, from, of, sh- a little bit of shade from the writers. And the oh, BBC. the shade of it all. <laughs> Very well done, Mr. Other Jeff. Yeah. Thank you for bringing out that semi-ironic um, conspiracy theory. The sass. He brings out the sass. (laughs) So uh, we soon learn who is going to backfill the position, and it's actually going to be Mr. Humphreys. They're going to promote from within. So he's going to be the new senior on the floor. And he's so overcome with emotion that he starts crying, and then he goes through this. His his leg starts jittering, and then he gets the hiccups. Like, he's so overcome with emotion. My leg's and gone again. He's so cute. His, his leg goes quite a bit through the quite years. Quite a bit, doesn't yeah. It? yeah. Um, <laughs> and so Miss Brahms doesn't know what to do. Like, she's ready to, like, pull out the rescue remedy on him. And say, <laughs> you know, don't worry, it'll go away. I mean, at primary school, my teacher, Ms. Haswell, used to get one of the boys to creep up behind me and give me a surprise. <laughs> and then they show Mr. Lucas, like, looking confused and waiting for the laughter to die. And he's like... Not sure that would work in this case, or whatever he says. <laughs> well, he still writes to me from Capri, which is like a great topper. Is Capri like a gay resort or something? It's it's an island um, in Italy. It's an island in Italy, kind of. It's you know not Sicily, not Sardinia, but the other big Let's island. Say no more. An I an island in Italy. <laughs> I, I I have the image in my head. There already. you go. Um, so we go over to young Mr. Grace's office and, um, his nurse is soaking his bunions ill. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and so, um, Mr. Rumbold is on the phone with him trying to get an answer if he's, uh, if they're going to promote Mr. Humphreys or not, if that's gone through. And so he's having a half conversation with his nurse and half a conversation with Mr. Rumbold. Like every conversation with young Mr. Grace. This is a classic, are you being served ism coming up? So hold on to your seats, people. So Mr. Rumbold asks, is he or isn't he? Meaning, is he going to be promoted? <laughs> to which young Mr. Grace replies, well, people have been asking me that for years. <laughs> Yay. Quote, quote. Yes. Is he or isn't he? How many of you unanimous listeners have said that to another one of your already being served friends? I mean, come on, really? Is he or isn't he? And then the other person says, people have been asking me that for years. He's <laughs> <laughs> so cute. So soon all of the gentlemen arrive in Mr. Rumbold's office and Mr. Rumbold makes it official by offering Mr. Humphreys the promotion. He's overcome with emotion again. Uh, Rumbold says that he's going to be pay grade H4B with increment and London waiting. So we think that he's going to get like a big raise here. Um, and he hands him a piece of paper with his new wage written on it and he starts crying again. Right, the because joke he's being, not getting a lot, right? He's and not by the getting way, a lot. When I was a kid, I did not understand the meaning of this, but now as an adult, I do. London waiting, W E I G H T, not <laughs> W A I T, like for the bus. B U O Y. B U boy B. Um, London waiting, like if you work for a big company and you live in Manchester, um, let's say Lake Wachatachi, Louisiana. Um, maybe you wouldn't get paid what you would be paid if you worked in um, Los Angeles or New York City because the cost of living is higher, so the people demand higher pay. So a wait, London wait, 
waiting means you're going to get paid a bit more because he worked in the London branch of Grace Brothers. So that's what that means, right? Right, right. Um, we also learned that Mr. Lucas is going to take over for Mr. Humphreys, and he says his wage, and he starts crying as well, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> yeah. uh, so they don't know how they're going to fill the um, the the junior position that was previously held by Mr. Lucas. So um, they decide they're going to advertise in the press. So they're going to take out newspaper ads, mm-hmm. um, and so um, because Captain they don't have P- Monster dot com in nineteen seventy nine. Right. So uh, Captain Peacock suggests that if they're going to uh, – if they want someone with Lucas's qualifications, that they should um, advertise in the agony column of the Beano. I don't know what that means. <laughs> All right. So we've, we've talked about an agony ant on this um, podcast before. It's like the, the Dear Abby, like the advice column of a newspaper, right? Uh, so, okay. So the Beano is a comic book for, uh, that's for kids 7 to 11. Uh, and it would come out every week, and then around Christmas time there would be a big, huge annual issue that would come out that would be like 300 pages long, uh, and it's on most kids, or was on most kids' um, Christmas lists. Oh, yeah, I think uh, we talked about this. Yeah, okay, it's coming back to me. It's This is where Dennis the Menace originated, the Dennis the Menace character. Uh, okay. Yeah, so... So it, it's a comic book. You know, you want to advertise for Mr. Lucas, advertise on a comic book <laughs> because he's juvenile and immature, right? I guess if it was an American show, they would have said Popeye instead of Beano. Arch, Archie Comics. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is also, uh, you know, 45 years ago too, so. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, Beano's still around though. They're, they're still printing. They haven't gone to digital only and they're still uh, <laughs> making comics. Them. Yeah. So uh, we learned some of the perks of the job and some of the benefits that Mr. Humphreys is afforded. Obviously not the pay. Not the pay, but he is allowed to wear his tape around his neck, which apparently is a big deal. That is an honor. Uh, And he gets his leg going again because he's so excited. (laughs) One of the ladies makes reference to his executive bowler that he's going to get to wear the hat later on. His executive uh, Hamburg. The bowlers are only for middle management. Thank you very much. You're exactly right. Thank you. His executive Hamburg. (laughs) Um, and so we learned that the staff are going to stay behind on Thursday night to interview for juniors, right? So okay. they put it in the paper. People are going to come in and apply, et cetera. So pretty quickly, we cut to Thursday night where they're staying behind and they've set up their conference tables, et cetera. And they bring in a couple of candidates. So the first one is Mr. Rodney Webster. And so Aww. the other Jeff had heard it as Wagstaff which um, our Eagle Eye fans will know is the captain is the name of the Captain Peacock character in Are You Being Served Australia? It's Captain Wagstaff. But I think it was Webster. Uh, I think this that when um, Mr. Harmon was Harman, announcing yeah. them, he had this thick, thick accent, so hard to make oh, out. Oh, interesting. But, okay. Hm. But good year there, Jeff Wine. Good for, yep. for putting those together, right? So um, this character is played by Tony Simpson, and we've seen him before. Do you recognize what? Do you remember what episode he was from? I do because you told me in that episode. Um, he's the guy who uh, had the little puppy. No, he was the one who was so forgetful and absent-minded that he forgot to wear pants. Or That's right. That's right. And then wasn't he? No, his wife in that episode. Yep. Was the one who. Brought little Roger. That's exactly right. Yay, I got it. Good job, yeah. I'll ding myself, thank you. Yeah, that's right. He was in 50 Years On where he played Claude. Oh, Claude, you are getting forgetful. 
Um, and his wife was played by Mavis Pugh, who was um, Roger's master. Yeah. In the, in the couple of episodes back. Yeah. So he looks to be a Kris Kringle type, and he can't hear for anything, but he claims to be only 48 years old. Hey? <laughs> 48. I guess 48 when you're that old is quite young. Yeah. And um, so Captain Peacock quizzes him on his product knowledge if he can tell them the difference between Nylon, Orlon, Banlon, and Tygon. So Are those actually all real fabrics before? Because they one time are. they, they are just made the mop, right? right. <laughs> so Nylon is, uh, a ple- is a silky-like material. It's meant yeah, to like mimic umbro silk. shorts or whatever, right. which is aging me, I guess. <laughs> um, and Orlon is the brand name for acrylic. Oh, so okay. if you so if you have an acrylic sweater, like my nails, <laughs> that's lovely Did, French tips. Um, who was the, there was a song that was came out in the mid nineties that was all spoken word, but it was all over pop radio, and it was just I just remember the, the punchline, like the end of the song was this woman going, and the label on the sweater said one hundred percent acrylic. Do you have any recollection I'm of that afraid whatsoever? Not, but if I don't know, no, sorry. Um, so okay, so Banlon is a synthetic yarn, so that's meant to mimic wool. Okay. Okay, and Tygon isn't made for clothing whatsoever. It's flexible tubing. So if you have a garden hose or a tube in your aquarium fish tank, uh, it might be made out of Tygon. So this was Why a trick was, question. I guess, yeah, I was going to say it was a trick question from Corporal slash Captain Peacock. So um, this is from my days when I used to work at standardized test prep, right? Okay. So what Captain Peacock has done here is he's given multiple choice and he's purposely thrown in an incorrect answer, something that's Sounds completely like something unrelated. Do. do you know what that's called in... In Being rhetoric an or... asshole. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I don't. But you're about to tell us. I am about to tell you. It's called a red herring. So when you throw something into a list of things on purpose to throw off the reader or the consumer oh, or the yes. listener or whatever, it's called a red herring. Yep. Um, Mr. W- Mr. Webster doesn't actually answer the question about the synthetic materials, but instead just tries to plead his case about poverty, about why he needs this job. He lives in a packing case in Covent Garden with bananas written on it. So he basically he lives in a cardboard box or like a wooden shipping crate is what he says. And he has, um, you can tell it's the one with the chimney in it, which is really <laughs> sad. You know, he's like this little old man. And I remember 1979, 78, um, an, a little old man was really old, you know. But I mean, now you can be like, 80 and just like go running and all sorts of stuff but back then people aged really quickly and to see this little old man who can't really hear for a junior's job to picture him in a crate in covent garden which in the 70s probably wasn't a very nice area i imagine right Uh, it's very sad very sad indeed right um they dismiss him. Uh, he gets a nice round of applause from the audience. And then we meet our second candidate, who is Mr. Beecham. Uh, and so he is played by Jeffrey Gardner. And this is someone else that we should recognize because he's been on the show before. Oh, okay. So we've got to go back, a, way back a couple of years, uh, to Mrs. Slocum Expects, 
this is the beginning of season five where the, the cast can have kittens. Yeah. But the B plot of that episode was they were going to try and convince their customers to buy more by pretending <gasps> to remember, be customers. I remember right? him. He wore glasses, didn't he? Uh, maybe he might have. Mr. He Granger, wanted... let me let me yes, try to see if he did. That's Mr. right. Mr. Granger, um, gloves. I've gone to every shop in, t- in yes. the town, and I just want those <laughs> gloves. Oh, you silly old fool! Why, if you want them that much, you can have them. That's right. Oh yeah, that's exactly who that was. Okay. Yep. So he comes in dressed somewhat dandy with a very big bow tie, a oh, pink yeah. flower, and sits with his legs crossed at the ankle. Showing his so, garter belt. Right. So we know that this is coded for um, homosexual, right? Yes. So uh, he's – Mr. Harmon introduce, introduces him as Bochum first, right? Because we figure out that his name is probably spelled B-E-A-U-C-H-A-M-P. Right. So you'd think that it would be pronounced Bochum or Beauchamp if it's in the French ways, but the uh, character um, corrects him as Beecham. So this made, immediately made me, the only other um, Beecham <laughs> that I know that is pronounced this way is the character in The Tales of the City. I was l- about to say the very same thing. That's just yeah. like the guy. So yeah, if you've not read the books or seen the TV series, it's really great. For those of you who are slightly familiar with it, uh, Tales of the City was um, a series of short stories that start- it was written by Armistead Maupin. There was originally um, a column in the San Francisco Chronicle or Examiner, or Examiner or something. Right, one of those. Um, talking about you know what life is like in San Francisco. It was very, very heavily um, gay, gay and queer and LGBTQ plus themed. So um, the... Lead character uh, in the story in the stories is Marianne Singleton, who is you know the girl fresh off the bus from Kansas, and mm-hmm. you know her Played eyes are Laura open. Played by Laura Linney, who is fabulous. Her adventures basically in the big city in San Francisco and all the characters she meets, and right. So yep. her, her boss is Edgar Halcyon, right? She's secretary at some company, and her boss is Edgar Halcyon. Edgar's daughter is Dee Dee Halcyon Day. And they become friends eventually. Dee Dee's husband is Beecham, Beecham Day, mm-hmm. who is a bisexual asshole who ends up putting out a hit on his wife and kids, but he ends up dying in the process. Spoiler alert. Sorry for anyone who may not be interested. <laughs> well, there it go. I, know, I don't well, have there to read the books now. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So Beecham, that's immediately what I'll always think of that because he makes a, a he also makes a point of correcting someone who reads his name and mispronounces it pretty early on. Can you think of an okay random thing here? Can you think of another somewhat? I don't know if it's popular or rare, but it's a British last name that you have to know how it is pronounced because it is not pronounced the way it looks. Other oh, than Beecham, we well we went over the one that's pronounced Fawshan. But mm-hmm. it's actually pronounced like Featherstone Huffting or something like that. I don't know what you're talking about, but um, God. But anyway, what? what Which one were you thinking of? I was thinking of, I was thinking of um, Sinjin. Sinjin, okay. Sinjin. It looks like Saint John, and it probably was originally. But when you think of like the crazy accents all over the British Isles and how things over time, I mean, they've been around for a thousand years. Things can change. I, I learned of pronouncing it Sinjin, I think, in my Brit lit class in high school. And I have no idea what character, uh, what book that would be from. I could not recall it. But I remember our, a teacher instructing us to pronounce it Sinjin. 
the things you learn. Yeah. Uh, one, the first time that I went to London, um, I was um, I was trying to go to Abbey Road Studios. And um, you could either go... Swiss Cottage is the closest um, uh, station, uh, tube station on the Jubilee Line. But you could also go there from St. John's Wood, which is the next stop earlier. And I thought that I was sure it was pronounced St. John's Wood. <laughs> <laughs> and I asked for directions, like, I think back to the tube stop. And people were looking at me crazy. And like, you know, St. John's Wood is that way. But, you know, you might as well go to Swiss Cottage. Anyway, we, um, enough of our tangents. Um, but that's apparently what you all like about this show. So we're happy to go on them with you. And on. And <laughs> on. And on. Um, so they're interviewing uh, Mr. Beecham, and Mr. Humphreys is not impressed. We'll let you know, rips of the papers, and dismisses him. And the rest of them are confused, you know, because he had a very lengthy career at many stores selling. And um, all of the French names, basically, like, Atelier, all of the shops that, that he worked right. at were, like, probably, like, uh, frequented by all the gay people of London. Right, You right. know? It was a little weird that, like, Mr. Humphreys was like, I don't like him. Because I could see him also being very interested, and then they all veto him. Right. Well, no, they, they don't all veto him. It's only Mr. Humphrey who says, well, we don't want people like that here. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funnier, yeah. Right. I tell you what, um, who else walks down that, those, uh, those staircases at the very last moment? Well, why don't we head on down to the canteen for a tea break before we reveal that? And then find out who the mystery person is, who you all know already, but it will hold you in suspense. We'll be right back. Hello, Unanimous. This is Mr. Brandon. And this is Mr. Jeff. Did you wake up this morning and think, how could I support my favorite podcast while also letting the world know that I'm a proud member of the Unanimous? Does your morning coffee vessel leave you feeling neither one way nor the other? Perhaps your smartphone cover fails to confirm your charm, personality, vitality, and youth. Worry no more. Visit our That Does Suit Madam online bargain basement shop. They've just come in. You could buy your very own That Does Suit Madam official tote bag. A handbag? Or an official podcast sofa pillow. Perfect for hiding your Paddington bear. We sell a fashionable face mask and a celebrated coffee cup. And of course, t-shirts. But don't worry, you'll find the sleeves right up with wear. Support your favorite podcast with some That Does Suit Madam merch. All at imfree.threadless.com imfree.threadless.com And you've all done very well. All right, we're back. Hey, I had some delicious fish and chips, Mr. Gre- Mr. Jeff. What did you have? Um, I had the cowboy supper, but I'll tell you something. The the manageress was she wasn't she had the must have had the day off because Fanula from Dairy Girls had flown in from Belfast to take over, and she's in a right state, worse than um, worse than the usual manageress. That means something if you watch Dairy Girls, but I don't, Unanimous, so I should. We had tried, uh, Unanimous, we had tried when we were trying to figure out what the sponsor joke would be. We had originally tried around playing with something about uh, Goldberg tailors and getting a free voucher for something from Fanula's Fish and Chip Shop. Look, the joke did not land, so um, we're very glad that we ended off. up where we're at. <laughs> <Ba-da-ba-ba-da-ba-da>. <laughs> There's a joke for you. <laughs> Jesus. That does suit Dairy Girls. 
Um, yes. Unanimous. If, if you BritBox were to sponsor us, they're then... not on BritBox. I think they're only. I think they're on Netflix in the states. Oh, yeah. If Netflix were to sponsor us, <laughs> um, but Dairy. seriously, listeners, if you haven't um, caught on with the obsession that is Dairy Girls, please go watch it. Uh, in short, it's about uh, teenagers growing up in Belfast in the uh, mid '90s, so right in the middle of the Troubles. So um, lots of cranberries music in there. <laughs> uh, some great jokes. It's only about twelve episodes. Um, and they also did the New Year's Day special of the Great British Baking uh, Show last year, which is hysterical. So invest um, seven hours of your life over the next couple of days, binge watch it and the episode and um, get back to us. That does suit Dairy Girls. So um, coming down the lift stairs, we see the third candidate for the position who is Mr. Harry Goldberg, uh, played by Alfie Bass. So Alfie Bass is best known for playing uh, Bert, the neighbor, in Till Death Do Us Part, which is the show that inspired On the Family. Ooh, that's very interesting. Okay, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, so he's a pretty well-known actor. He's also... Uh, he was also in several um, films, several comedy films, um, and he's um, he's known for his Jewish shtick. He makes reference to his Jewish heritage often mm. through his characters, and we see that we see that in this episode too. So, question: um, Till death do us part. Was that before or after this episode? That was before. That was before. Because I noticed when he when when um, Alfie Bass leaves the stage going uh, uh, going up the stairs to the lift, they clap for him. So yeah. I thought, oh, that's interesting. He must be like a well known actor. So that explains why, because they they love this guy. Yeah, no, he was definitely he was definitely well known uh, at this time. Um, okay, so. cool. Um, so Mr. Goldberg thinks that he recognizes Captain Peacock, and he's re- replaying. He's like. I'm at Catterick, and I walk into a Nissan hut. Um, it's all Greek to me at this point. I, I didn't get that. So Catterick <laughs> is a Royal Air Force base in Yorkshire. Okay. And in the States, we call a Nissan hut a Quonset hut. So if you think about those... What do um, we call a Quonset hut? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So if you think about um, either... If you think about an airplane hangar, you know how it's that reverse U-shape? And you know how on some okay. farms there are sheds, buildings that are used as sheds but much larger, that are that shape, just kind of like a, a dome? Okay. That's called a Quonset hut. Or how the in, hell in the state, do you know what that's hut. called? Because that's, that's amazing. It's just what it is. It's called. You pay that. attention. Okay. I don't know. Um, I would have just called it a hangar, but there we go. A Nissan hut. Nissan okay. hut, yeah. Um, and so he refers to Captain Peacock as Corporal Peacock because none of them have introduced themselves yet. Right. Um, and so this is a, this is, um, a scandal actually, because Corporal is a much lower rank, right? It's usually just above private. So you usually go private, Corporal, Sergeant, Lieutenant, Captain. So... Mr. Goldberg has just demoted him down four ranks. Right? <laughs> and what's so funny about it is that Captain Peacock, that is his, his whole identity is the fact that he's captain. And right. everyone refers to him as Captain Captain. Um, 
it's so cute to see him taken down like this. This whole thing, this episode, this interaction, and this little story plot is what I take away as being the most clever, I think. Yeah. I really like this whole thing. I, I, we, I mean, all of season six, we had a whole bunch of A storylines that never went anywhere. Right. And now we get an A storyline that gets resolved, a B storyline that is woven into the A storyline, and conflict that actually gets resolved as well. Like, bravo to the writers for... I know. Well, I wonder if there's been some changes, too, in the yeah. staff, like the, the back, the back behind-the-camera staff. Because just the way they do the camera angles and the, the editing, or not the editing, but just like the way it looks on the screen, it doesn't look as old-fashioned. You know, I wonder if they have like a different camera person or something. You know, a lot of times they'll do those sweeping camera shots where clearly like someone's walking with the camera down the stage. But I noticed that there was a lot of a lot less panning of the camera and a yeah. lot less zooming in and zooming out, which I think of as an old fashioned way to do it. I don't know, 1979? It might have been you the know, technology not... available too. You never yeah. know. They might have invested in new cameras or whatever. Anyway, um, Peacock denies ever having seen him, right? And so Mrs. Silicon wants to wrap up the, the interview process because if her pussy isn't attended by 8 o'clock, she shall be stroking it for the rest of the evening, right? Um, Great A pussy joke here, right? Because you get the double <laughs> – because you get a topper on it because usually the explanation – is the straight line. But here, you just get a topper, which is also another double entendre. So I, I, I am nice. all in on, on, this, uh, on this joke. And so Mr. Goldberg is explaining his background, uh, that he used to have a suit shop over a fish and chip shop in Bermondsey, but he lost it in a fire yesterday. <laughs> right? Um, That's very recent. <laughs> it's very, very recent. You know, he's still reeling from the shock, but now he's got to go out and get a job in order to make some money somehow. Um, so to reveal another one of those uh, cultural touchstones that might separate the very small amount of years in us, but clearly define us as being Gen X and millennial. Not so small. Um, what does... Um, very young. Does does What does Bermondsey... Um, Recall Isn't it kind of you. like a red shade or something? <laughs> a, Burgundy? A, a kind of wine. Um, oh, yeah. Does that have any recollection for you in terms of pop culture? None whatsoever. I was probably listening to like Sesame Street by, at that time. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, Bermondsey immediately makes me think of the Squeeze song 8539537. Um, because in the coda of the song... He's 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 talking the whole point of the song. He's trying to um, call his girlfriend, but she's not picking up the phone, and he's imagining that she's having an affair, right? Oh, and okay. so in the coda of the song, uh, it goes: um, "She's in Mill Hill, I'm in Bermondsey. It's the end of the earth on the northern line, right? Because Mill Hill is at the very northern end of the northern line." Bermondsey okay. is actually not on the Northern Line. Uh, it's on the Jubilee Line, but it is south of the river. It's in southeast London. Um, Canada Water is also near there. So uh, it is kind of far away. It's about an hour hour and change or so today. Who knows what it was back then when there weren't as easy connections. Um, but that's immediately what Bermondsey calls in mind for me. 
I have a feeling those Manchester, Madchester lovers out there, because we did a, um, a segment of I, I'm unanimous in this, on the Madchester scene, and all of the people flocked. They're like, oh my God, I love Jeff's segment. And I was like, what? I don't know what any <laughs> of this music is. So I'm sure you're all buzzing in a Twitter and all excited over the squeeze. Well, you know, who, you know who Squeeze is. You, you can name at least one song by Squeeze. Eight six seven five three zero nine. That's all I know. You but can, I don't know. You can else. name a second song by Squeeze. I really couldn't. Tempted Mellow by Yellow. Tempted by the fruit of another. No. Cool for cats. No. Up the junction. Goodbye, oh, girl. Oh my god. I don't know. I've not lived a life. I've been watching Are You Being Served religiously <laughs> every day. Oh please, oh, please look them up and add them to your playlist. I'll see what I can do. Yeah. I'll take it under advisement. Anyway, so um, they're all impressed with him except for Captain Peacock. And as Mr. Goldberg is leaving, he says, sorry I mistook you for someone I shared a tent with for four years, <laughs> eating the same food, doing the same jankers, right? So he's really, you know, turning the knife there that he What's really recognizes who Captain Peacock is. Um, we are explicitly tagged, so we can't explain <laughs> what a janker is. What is a janker? So jankers is uh, military punishment of menial tasks. So oh, like peeling potatoes. Like peeling potatoes, exactly. Oh, okay. Um, right. Did they have a special name for detention in your school, or was it just called detention? I wouldn't know. I never visited. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm, no, just detention. So in, 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 I feel like some um, posh schools in the States would have a name like this. I did not go to a posh school, but in I went to a, a Catholic school, and it was called Jug. So you had to serve Jug. That it stood painful. It stood for justice under God, uh, and it was um, you know forty minutes of doing nothing. You know you couldn't even do your homework. You couldn't. You just had to kind of just sit there for forty minutes. Sounds riveting. Yeah, I know. Anyway, so they're all weighing the candidates, discussing them, and Peacock thinks he's totally unsuitable, and he tries to make the case for either Mr. Beecham or Mr. Webster, and they all vote unanimously except for Corporal Peacock. Uh, Ms. <laughs> Brahms makes it a point to rub that in his face, and she gets, um, she gets admonished for it. I will say this. I think that's, like, the only part that Ms. Brahms plays in this whole episode. She make like pokes fun twice and then gets told off, and that was it. So yeah. like this is not her episode. No, this, this is Mr. Humphreys and Mr. Goldberg. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we cut to Monday morning, and they're at Daphne and Ivy. I'm glad to see that war can replace them. We love, we love, we we miss them. And uh, they ask Captain Peacock about the new junior. You know, they're expecting some 25 year old man to to walk in some eye candy. Uh, and he lets them down that it's, you know, an older gentleman who is really hungry for a job. And so Mrs. Slocum is talking with Captain Peacock before he comes in. Um, you know, that it's funny that he remembered you, but you don't remember him. Do you really think that it was him? And Captain Peacock immediately cuts her off. Well, do you remember who you worked with when you were at Lions working as a nippy? And she's all offended. You promised you'd never tell. <laughs> um, and I had no idea what a nippy was. I thought it was. 
I thought it was like a lady of the night or something like that. That's kind of what I thought too. And like, I know I looked it up and it's a really cool history. Did you look it up too? I did, but I think you went a little bit deeper than I did. That was kind of Because you came across a really famous nippy. They have uh, a chain of restaurants that I've mentioned on the show before called Weatherspoons. And it's sort of like... A corporatized pub, basically. You can go to any of these Weatherspoon places anywhere in the UK, and they all have the same food at the same price, and it's a big, big place. Um, so it's so it's so it's like an Applebee's or a Bennigan's, just not as kitschy. Yeah, true. Yeah, I, there there seems to be something more quintessential about it, whereas Bennigan's and Applebee's are sort of like. I don't know. They don't seem to like in they don't seem to be infused with the culture. But what's cool about Weatherspoons is that they they will go into spaces like an old abandoned church and mm-hmm. buy it and flip it and make it fabulous, right? The reason I mention Weatherspoons is when I was researching what the hell is a nippy at Lions? What is that? Lions um is a very popular um Irish as it turns out, tea company, like tea bags. Right. So but back in the 1800s and up through the late 60s, they had the lion. It's L-Y-O-N. They had something called corner houses. So at um, big intersections in London where to, you know, like the corner building, they would have what's called a lion's um, corner house. So it would be like four or five floors of a tea house, which is basically a great big a dining hall where people would have like very modest little meals and meet people for tea, which is of course a huge cultural thing. So, it, you know, these things are really important. Um, and <laughs> I think you looked up what a, what they called their, uh, their waitresses. They had a special name or something. Yeah. So um, they were originally called Gladys's just like our bell, um, before they got the nickname of being called nippies because they nip out to the kitchen to get your order quickly. That's where that came yeah, from. Yeah, so it, it seemed like one of these cool things. Like if you've watched um, any of those period shows from the BBC or whatever about like career women in, in 1912 who have a job out of the house and it's very radical. Like these places were really important for women to be employed because there weren't a lot of places you could get a job as a woman. Um, these places would have 400 staff employed for each uh, establishment. Like that's so many people. Um, but what's really cool um, I did some research. So I'm like, okay, what is this company? Who was, who was involved? Um, tying back to Mr. Goldberg being Jewish, the company was founded by Jewish men. So, um, originally the, the Simpsons building, which I think either David Lloyd or Jeremy Croft, like worked there as a kid or in his twenties. And he had this idea for a TV show based on a clothing store. Anyway, so it's now a Waterstones bookstore, which is a UK bookstore place place now, but it is like four doors down on the same street from their original Lions uh, oh, tea house. Oh, is it? Yeah, I thought okay. that was kind of a cool little oak circle, full circle thing. So anyway, like this in, in Britain, um, in say the 50s, 
um, there were a lot of young women working at these tea shops, and basically waitresses, and they had a cute little uniform, and they were called nippies because they nipped around really quickly, and blah, blah, blah. So that's the thing. So, like, as an American, you know, as Americans, we didn't know what the hell Lion's Corner Houses were, yeah. right? But I think it was probably... I also read an article saying that 84% of the waitresses were married within a year of starting because it was basically where you would go to To like to get your MRS. Yeah. So I suppose you have to get your MRS. I I guess there was a little bit of a stigma working there and that's why Mrs. Slocum was a little embarrassed because she's like, you know, a proper woman. She's a woman of the world. She's doing it all on her own woman power. But then Mr. Captain Peacock reminds her, didn't you work at right. Lions Corner House? Kind of a little jab, which is what she was doing to him. So, Got it. And lastly, um, who did you find was a famous employee who worked at uh, Lions at one point? The ice cream is not for turning. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> former British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher. Um, she oh. actually worked there as a chemist. Uh, figuring out ways to um, help preserve the ice cream. That was before she became the ruler of Britain. I before imagine. she became the Not Iron after. Lady. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that's what that crazy um, thing was called. So they're all filing in, and Mr. Humphreys comes in with a brand new coat and his senior assistant's Homburg. Uh, Very dapper. Turns out that he left his mother in tears that morning because he spent the milk money on a new hat, which is pretty funny, <laughs> right? <laughs> And so Mr. Goldberg comes on, they get him acquainted, you know, here's your tape, but you have to put it in your pocket. You can't wear it around your neck. That's only for seniors. Um, and he's trying to ingratiate himself with his colleagues, and he offers to tally up Mr. Lucas's takings for him, right? Mm, and yep. so he takes the notepad, and he starts to sum it up with the pencil, and he starts to rock and murmur in a little bit of gibberish here. And so I thought that this was... A little problematic at best, but then going in and exploring Alfie Bass's roots a little bit more and kind of what his shtick was with all his characters, it made me feel less bad about it. But still, it's kind of weird to watch in a in a, in a 2021 uh, view. Um, yeah, I agree. I had the same idea because um, Goldberg, you know, and Alfie Bass is, is very proudly Jewish. And then you see him kind of rocking back and forth, which kind of goes on to like, I don't know, like when you're at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem or something. And it's kind of a, not a stereotype, but it's kind of an identifiably Jewish thing. But you know, if you think about Mel Brooks, like all of the jokes that he did, that he does are, half of them are kind of Jewish jokes. He's a really funny guy, but he's also super old school. So I think this is a matter of like, like you said, 2021 um, jokes like this, you know, because of people who are anti-Semitic, um, they can make things feel a little weird. Um, I don't know. It's 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 a lot of cultural baggage. I think. I feel that there's a way to make, things. especially if the actor or or the writer, you know, is of you know Jewish heritage or culture or religion themselves. If you're going to make a a Jewish joke that's based on culture. I feel that's a lot more easy to digest as opposed to this thing, which is heavy in religious symbolism. Because immediately you get you you associate it with the image of someone at the Wailing Wall praying. What he's doing is he's mining the Jewish practice that's called shuckling, which is when you um, rock your body in a rhythmic rhythmic motion 
um, to not only keep your blood flowing while you're kind of standing praying for a long time, but it's also an expression of the soul's desire to leave the body and be, hmm. um, you know, otherworldly. So, um, but he, you know, he does, Alfie Bass played up his Jewish roots a lot. You know, the, one of his mm, other yeah. roles that he was known for is Roman Polanski's The Fearless Vampire Killers in 1967, um, where okay. a, ma- a maid holds up a crucifix to him and he goes, oy vey, have you got the wrong vampire? So that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's not religious at all, even though it's playing off of like a crucifix as a religious symbolism, yeah, but it's yeah. like, that's not going to work on me. It's you know? cute is what it is. It, it's, you know, yeah. I, think the, I, I think the fact that like Alfie Bass, like that's part of his, his persona is one thing. What would really make me feel weird, and this is Jewish, African-American, you know, African, British, whatever, if the writers and the producers and the directors of the show were making a joke that weren't wasn't sensitive, but the fact that Alfie Bass in this case he, has he's, embraced this kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, he's clearly he's, he's in on the joke, condoning so. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's part of. He's he's laughing with the joke. He's not the subject of the joke. Yeah, that's the difference. And you know, I mean, I think it's also just worth throwing out there that one Jew does not speak for all Jewish people. Just because the yeah, actor true, is true. Jewish himself doesn't you know absolve it. Good point. It, Anyway, the the gentlemen are continuing to you know talk to him and to show him around the place, and they say, "Well, commissions are done on individual sales." And he's like, "Oh, that's that's very interesting. Every other place I've worked, we split we split it uh, the toll amongst ourselves. Are you sure that you don't want to do it that way?" And, Mr- he, and the, the the problem is <laughs> because Mr. Humphreys is now senior sales assistant. He gets first crack. He gets, he gets first to crack, all of right. the, the customers first. Who's ever left over, Mr. Lucas gets. And then whoever's left over from that, now it's Mr. Uh, Goldberg. Right. So he's saying, don't you all want to just split everything into thirds? So we, you know. Right. So that's where that was coming from. But and, what happens next? And so Mr. Lucas obviously is not going to give that up because he's gotten last crack for the past seven years. So he's very <laughs> excited to be in his second position. Yeah. And so Mr. Goldberg asks, so what happens if someone comes asking for me? And Mr. Humphreys is dismissive. Oh, that won't happen until you've built up clientele for years, right? <laughs> Clearly power has gone to his head. Okay, suit yourself. And on cue, ding, the lift doors open. And about a dozen customers come in asking for Harry, right? They're, they're all, all here. good friends and hugging him. They're hugging and- him, smoking cigars, congratulating him, making a lot of noise, looking at all the merchandise. He's told all of his friends that, you know, he's, you know, opened, uh, he's got um, a new job and he'll probably, you know, be able to cut them a good deal. So one of them immediately takes a Vicuna coat off the rack that's worth 500 pounds and says, I'll take it. You know, no questions asked. That's crazy. So 500 pounds then um, would be worth 2,300 pounds today or about $3,100. For a coat? For a coat, crazy. right? From Grace Brothers? So then someone else is taking six silk shirts, which brings the total up to 650 pounds. Another customer takes a suit, bringing the total up to 800 pounds. And then another customer takes a crocodile roof briefcase with matching shoes, bringing the total up to 1,200 pounds, which would be $7,500 today. And you see the- That's ca- a lot of spending money. You hear the cash register bells coming out of Humphreys and Lucas's mouths. <laughs> like, 
he's making all this commission. We're, we're not going to get a part of it. What can we do to help? And so they immediately change their mind. We're going to split it and they go help. And Goldberg is directing traffic. You wrap that up. You <laughs> yeah, get him yeah. cufflinks. He's going to need socks. And he's immediately taking over, right? So mm-hmm. um, because figures in his first week are so good, because he has a clientele from having his own shop, um, Mr. Goldberg is asking for a rise in salary because he's been able to prove his worth very quickly to uh, Mr. Rumbold. Uh, and he's asking for more than Mr. Humphreys makes. So um, they're going to have to demote Mr. Humphreys and Mr. Lucas in order to give Mr. Goldberg the senior position so they can pay him the salary he wants. Captain Peacock threatens a walkout because oh. he did not like uh, Mr. Goldberg at all. Um, the staff come in to Mr. Rumble's office minus Captain Peacock and say they have no intention to walk out with M- Captain Peacock. In fact, Mr. Goldberg is taking Mrs. Slocum out on a date to, to the pictures tonight. <laughs> yeah. Right? Okay. So um, it's Friday night. It, it's, you know, Friday. It's, they're, they're leaving, and Captain Peacock, oh, I'm so sorry you're not going to be returning with us next week, Mr. Goldberg. And he's says, yeah, well, you know, I heard that there was a lot of um, – uh, there was a lot of contention over my position here. And uh, I, I thought I'd leave a memento for my co-workers that I've gotten to know over the past week. And I came across... What a nice gesture. I mean, he's quite the guy, Mr. Goldberg. I came across this picture in an old scrapbook with this photo of me and um, Corporal Peacock, who I mistook you for. And if you look very closely on Corporal Peacock's arm, there's a tattoo there that says death before dishonor. And immediately Captain Peacock grabs his arm because he knows that he's been had. <laughs> Showing the audience where the tattoo is. Right. I love that. It's such a theatrical thing. Like, that's not, not ever happened in the world world. But and, and Mr. Goldberg so says, well, you know, if I, le- if I leave, I'm going to give this to the staff as a memento. But if for some reason I stay, I want you to have it. So very, very sly. He, very crafty. Very, very crafty. Good. He manages to uh, hang on to his job, and Captain Peacock begrudgingly welcomes him on back to the staff with Yay. open arms. Right. And everyone is happy in the end. And they all lived happily ever after, right? And that's um, the episode. And that's our episode for this week. Um, I'm so happy we're in season seven. I'm so happy we're in the Mr. Goldberg years. Um, we've got a lot of great episodes coming up this year, including next week, which is um, Strong Stuff This Insurance. And that's the one that, where they have to practice ballet in order to get in shape for the insurance physical. And one, and two, and three, <laughs> and four, and five, and six, and seven, and eight. So good. Yeah, that's a, that's a great episode. So I'm looking forward to discussing that tomorrow. Um, so, Brandon, if any of our unanimous listeners have uh, fond memories of uh, drinking tea at Lions or uh, <laughs> want to... Were a nippy. Or they were if a any nippy. If you were a nippy, let us know. Or they want to uh, taunt you with their favorite squeeze lyrics, how can they get in touch with us? I still don't know what that is. <laughs> but if you want to tell me who the hell squeeze is or were... Um, you can is, reach out to us on is. Facebook. Facebook is. Um, get us on Facebook at That Does Suit Madam. You can search for us. You'll find it. Twitter is Does Suit Madam. And hello to all the Twitter people out there. We're getting likes and stuff every day. Um, you can send us an email at That Does Suit Madam. That's with an E. At gmail.com or call the Peacock Hotline at 662 Peacock. That's 662 732 
2625. And if you're not in the United States, you can use your phone's uh, voice memo recorder as a diction machine and email us the file and we can play that on the, on the podcast. Thanks to everyone who's been sending us voicemails, but we'd love to hear from you too. And with that, Mr. Jeff, we should say, you've all done very well. Goodbye. Bye, That Does It, Madam, is not endorsed by the BBC and it is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Are You Being Served is a copyrighted program of the BBC. Nothing on this application is intended to create or imply a contractual relationship. If hired, the employee understands that employment is at will.